Welcome to the Innovation and in Government Show, sponsored by Kerasoft. Each month, we'll talk with industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Now, here's your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to my guest today is Wayne LaRich, the Federal Civilian Field Chief Technology Officer and Solutions Architect at Palo Alto Networks Federal. Wayne, thanks so much for taking the time to join me. Thank you. Let me set just a little bit of context for our discussion today. Sure. SASE, Secure Access Service Edge. It's mm -hmm. one of the latest, I'll call it buzzwords, mm -hmm. uh, that has emerged as part of the move to zero trust we've seen across the federal government. Agencies are looking at how, how they can implement this approach to secure in their networks and systems. And in fact, Gartner predicts that by 2025, at least 60% of all enterprises, federal, pro public, private sector, will have, quote, explicit strategies and timelines for SASE adoption, encompassing user, branch, and edge access. That's up from 10% in 2020. Now, back in 2020, Gartner also, also said that SASE will provide agility to cope with rapidly changing network and security conditions. They predict it will help manage complexity for network and security in a distributed solution. Uh, they talk about orchestration, maintain a single security policy throughout a distributed environment. Uh, zero trust network access will likely be a major feature in SASE deployment. All of these things back in 2020, here we are almost four years later, and they're starting to come true. I think SASE, as we see across a lot of agencies, when I talk to chief information officers, mm -hmm many times it comes up, oh, well, we're moving toward a SASE network approach. So let's, Wayne, fill us in. Why does this make sense? Why are agencies really starting to say, look at SASE and go, okay, that's our future? Sure. I mean, there's a lot around it, right? Um, we can look at the OMB government mandates, right? Uh, M1926, M2209, logging, et cetera, right? So there's a push to move toward a zero trust architecture but also remove some of the legacy technologies that were uh, embedded in the, in the government before. So things like TIC 3.0 are very important, and the SASE model really fits a lot of those use cases that were defined in M1926, uh, you know, years ago, as you mentioned. Um, we also see a kind of a push uh, for zero trust, and government agencies are really, I won't say they're struggling, but they're really looking at all the options of how to get to that zero trust architecture. And it's, it can be very confusing, like in the, the whole realm of, of all the vendors speak and kind of the buzzwords of saying, uh, you know, if you focus too much on like just the identity piece or the cloud piece, you kind of miss something in the middle. What SASE does is it really addresses a lot of use cases, not just the TIC 3.0 use cases, but anything that's emerging in those use cases. When we look at things like TIC and it, it kind of outlines, you know, uh, as it being kind of a living document of these are the ways that we're going to address things in the future, things like IoT, you know, machine learning and, and AI and things like that. Um, what SASE does is it really sets a, a framework to get to that zero trust architecture just a little easier, right? Um, it may not be a panacea for everything for zero trust, but it really does help government agencies move towards that zero trust architecture. Let's take a half a step, step back and mm -hmm. let's define maybe what the Secure Access Edge service is. For a lot of people, mm -hmm. it's, not a, it's not another product, mm -hmm. by our product, right? It's, right? it's not another technology like AI people right. think about. Right. It's really a, an approach, you mentioned a framework. Sure, sure. Uh, one of the main things about SASE is, is, the, is it's evolving, right? It started off as you had things like, um, say, um, before Zero Trust Network Access, they, they basically called it like VPN replacement. So you had private app access. Or you had companies that were doing like secure internet gateway. Um, so you were adding some security stacks to users as they kind of work from home, et cetera. Uh, what SASE really does though is it brings in a bunch of different use cases under that umbrella. So we're looking at not only the you know, users working from home, 
um, but also users working from a remote branch. So we're, we're kind of uh, cascading in there other things like cost savings, you know, moving away from expensive MPLS-based networks, um, uh, and different use cases. You know, as, as applications move you know, from the data center to the cloud uh, with SaaS adoption, things like that, um, SASE can really help address those. And then also on the flip side is the compliance piece, right? With SASE kind of being um, an as-a-service model, uh, a more flexible and agile model, we can really adopt things like um, high-fidelity logging, like which is outlined in uh, some of the OMB mandates, like M2131 calls out logging, um, really robust logging, et cetera. Uh, we can do things like integrate with DHS CISA and what they call their cloud log aggregation warehouse. Since we're pulling all those logs in from different sources, um, stitching them together, normalizing them, and, and forwarding them on. So again, let me just have a half a step back. Mm -hmm. It's a framework to apply certain technologies, sure. and underneath the SASE umbrella, you may have multiple different sets of technologies that all kind of make up this, this framework. Exactly. You mentioned compliance piece, you mentioned login, you mentioned uh, moving away from MPLS. Mm -hmm. Does it also mean also VPN? Right? We love mm -hmm. to hate the VPN. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, VPN technology is still an important piece. It's more of moving away, uh, not the underlying piece of the VPN, like we still need that encryption and, and kind of, you know, two-factor authentication to get in there. But once we get in there, we need to apply other things to that um, connectivity, right? Now, it's not just a, it is a VPN replacement, but it does a lot more like device compliance, um, following that user ID, um, making sure that that user's persona is accessing the um, assets that it's supposed to. So when you have like a high value asset and you're doing a VPN, uh, any user who has a login and password to get into that is going to be able to kind of access it. You might have a, something in front of that to, to do a second factor of authentication, but the, the chances are once they're in, they can kind of do that lateral movement. So what we're trying to do with SASE and, and what we call ZTNA is really um, help fix that VPN, that legacy VPN problem. I was about to say that the hopping is really what, what the problem is with VPNs once you're in, you're in. Yes. And a lot of times, you, if I compromise your credential, then I get in without, without calling out our friends at OPM too much. That's yeah. kind of what happened to OPM data breach back in 2015. Sure. They, got, they got the credentials, they got in, and then they could just jump. Uh, what SASE and, and the whole idea of zero trust is, okay, if you beat this obstacle, I have another one ready for you. And if you beat that one, I have another one ready for you. And exactly. it, the roles and responsibilities, the policies, uh, that, that are built around it. Mm -hmm. I think those are some of the benefits. Uh, what, what are, are there other benefits that maybe as you talk to your yeah. federal customers that you bring up? For sure. I mean, um, with the Palo Alto solution, we really focus in on the, this notion of like uh, a user ID, um, meaning that if I'm logging in from home, if I'm working from home, obviously I have to have a username and password or some multi-factor authentication, right? That's easy. But what happens when that user gets in the car and drives to the office? We see like a, this, this emergence of hybrid, you know, return to office with work from home, right? So people are working from home certain days of the week and in the office. We really need to have a seamless experience for those users, meaning that um, not just from a security perspective, uh, making sure that, uh, that they are, you know, have better security efficacy regardless of where they are, but when they're actually in the office, we still need to have some of that zero trust. And, so what we've done, like in the past, if you had a VPN, uh, maybe you were doing some, some type of logging for that VPN, when you come to the office, you're not going to VPN in, right? Because you're already behind a, a controlled asset. With what we're doing with SASE and ZTNA, Zero Trust, is really um, taking the best parts of that, um, doing things like device posture checking, 
um, and stitching that user ID to that, that new session now. Now that I'm not working from home on my Comcast or Verizon Files, whatever, and I'm actually in the office, um, you still want to tie that user to that, um, that IP and that asset. And so that's one thing that we can really do from a, from a securing perspective. But from a user, user experience perspective, SASE really brings that, um, that data plane and middle mile optimization, um, everything that we've done on the back end and all the billions that have been spent on kind of that cloud-derived, cloud-delivered architecture, it benefits the user. And so that's really the most important thing, I think. Um, when we talk to, when I talk to government customers as well, um, security is important, but you know, user experience is, is very important. And if it's not beneficial to the user, they're not going to consume it. They're not going to use it. They're going to find ways to get around it. Um, so that's really one thing that we've worked very hard to, to bring to bear with the, with the service. The user experience piece is really important, but I want to just sure. take a half a step back and, and ask you, many times what we still see about the biggest threat to agencies or probably mm -hmm. any network is the person, right? Yeah, sure. I click on a link, all of a sudden it comes in my email and, and, and everything's uh, exposed. What I think SASE is trying to do is, is add that layer of protection that maybe we haven't had before. For sure. Maybe it was point solution. Okay, this, this database is really important, so we'll put more protections around it, but these databases over here are less important, and we right. won't, but what this is doing is spreading that, that security across the entire network, so you can't hop if you do get, uh, we click on a link if you do have malware. Exactly. Is, is that, that's part of what we're seeing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, blocking lateral movement, things of that nature, or um, really um, integrating with what tools you already have, right? Mm -hmm. If a government agency has done, you know, done their diligence, worked very hard to implement things like CAC cards, multi-factor authentication, phishing resistant type you know, authentication, um, we want to integrate with that. And so the things that, the concepts I talked about as far as like tying a user ID to a, to a traffic flow, we can also use some of that multi-factor authentication that the government's already invested in as part of that decision-making process, right? The user experience key piece when we talk about zero trust, mm -hmm. and we hear this quite often, is don't forget about the user and zero trust. Exactly, you just yep. can't lock everything down. Why is SASE, again, part of that user experience discussion? How does that kind of open the door to ensuring that you as the user doesn't find your way around the security, exactly. sure. the security efforts? Yeah, I, I would say it's, it's uh, the solution, the SASE solution itself, is very tunable, right? So we have obviously a spectrum of customers. Uh, um, maybe some customers are really only focused on providing protections when their users are working from home and accessing the internet, right? So that anti-phishing type stuff. Um, but for the government, um, to make it a, a more seamless and easy user experience, it's very tunable in the sense that we can set up to say, as soon as that device is booted up, um, the device is connected into the SASE service, right? So there's no like, uh, for lack of a better term, like a split tunneling. Um, and even before that user puts their cat card in, we can actually do some uh, pre-log on and, um, you know, making sure that the device is up to snuff with its device posture, you know, patches, uh, maybe make sure the antivirus is turned on and up to date. Um, regardless if it's a Palo Alto antivirus, I can just make sure that, that it's up and running and has that right signature, um, you know, load on it. Once we do that and the user pops in their cat card, they get their two-factor authentication, it doesn't matter if they're going to the cloud or going to a private app back hauled into the data center or chatting with someone, you know, a colleague or connecting to the internet. Really, um, that seamless kind of user experience with that one device, uh, one load, and um, not having to kind of click into different um, 
you know, clients to say, well, now I want to go access this thing at this data center, so I'm going to click on this VPN. And when I'm done with that, I got to make sure I click that off because I can't get to CNN or something like that now. So that's really what we're trying to bake in with the user experience. Uh, another thing that we've really honed in on is kind of the emergence of machine learning and what we can do with the digital experience management, if you will. So imagine you have a help desk and you have users that are kind of deployed. Um, what we can do with that, that agent, since it's, it's resident on the actual end user's device, we can look for things like, you know, Wi-Fi. Maybe I was at my neighbor's house yesterday and connected to their Wi-Fi and came back and I'm still kind of tethered to it. My Wi-Fi is terrible. There's no way that a help desk guy could know that. But with kind of this emergence of the ZTNA client, we're getting that telemetry to say, uh, Wi-Fi is bad, or the middle mile is bad, or the ISP is bad. You know, something with, um, you know, every user on X ISP is starting to have problems. It's easier for that mean time to innocence for the for the operators to find. And that then allows either the help desk or even the user to say, okay, I need to do something different. Mm -hmm. I need to improve my experience so I for can sure. serve the citizen, serve the, the business, meet my mission in, exactly. in a new way. Exactly. And, and without that, as you know, <laughs> yes. things things fall apart. Uh, Wayne, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation and we'll, we'll, sure. we'll delve deeper into SASE. Okay. In the meantime, we'll take a break. You're listening to Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. Are you curious if your federal agency is on the path to success with zero trust? At Palo Alto Networks, we offer cutting-edge technology and industry-leading expertise to help you safeguard your government's mission in both civilian and defense operating environments. Our solutions are designed to protect your agency from evolving cyber threats while accelerating your transition to zero trust. Don't leave your agency security to chance. Visit us online at paloaltonetworks.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Carisoft on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Wayne LaRich, the Federal Civilian Field Chief Technology Officer and Solutions Architect at Palo Alto Networks Federal. Wayne, before break, we we're talking a lot about SASE, Secure Access Services Edge. What is it? How does it work? Why is it important? Sure. How is it part of the zero trust world? Mm -hmm. Everything, I think, is a part of zero trust these days. Are agencies actually using this today, or is it a lot of, we'd like to use it, we're planning mm -hmm. to use it, we would hope to use it one day, or, or is there some use cases? There are definitely use cases, and I would say it's a spectrum, right? There are, there are customers that we talk to that are like, well, I'm happy with my VPN solution, or it works just fine, and, and that's fine. That Really, the idea is to plant the seed of things are on the horizon, right? Uh, M2209 really calls out a lot of stuff that you can't do with legacy VPNs. Um, so what, we, what we'll do is really look and give them architecture solutions that are very modular and very tunable to how, you know, to their needs. You know, um, one example is a, uh, a large, you know, executive level agency that's, uh, that has a worldwide presence. Um, they've actually, over the last few years, they, they actually um, appointed a zero trust, you know, lead architect. Um, and that uh, person was tasked with really finding solutions that they could use to kind of address a lot of these emerging zero trust technologies and, you know, outcomes that they wanted. Um, so what they, what they did was ended up, you know, starting with SASE and, and kind of like that, um, that piece of zero trust, uh, which really um, helps them with access, uh, helps that kind of, you know, remote, you know, user experience. Um, and then also the branch, right? So rolling in some cost savings and aggregating some of that bandwidth that they used to spend a lot on. And eventually they were able to adopt this zero trust um, architecture. 
And the reason why this is important, I think, is because, you know, while it's an emerging technology, it's, it's being consumed. And customers like that that I just talked about will come to us, will come to me um, and my team and, and say, well, you know, uh, M2131 was just dropped for logging. We need to have more efficacy and more fidelity in our logs. How are we going to get that from your service? And uh, someone like me works with my product team to say, I have a government customer, they have a need, uh, there's a, a mandate that's been put out, and we can adopt to that since it is a, derived as a service and delivered as a service. Um, and we were able to, to basically bring that to bear as far as getting them that, that logging that they needed for a very specific application. Um, so the adoption, while you know it's emerging and it's kind of nascent here, there are a number of customers that are using it. And, and again, the feedback that I get is in the discussions with these customers is always going back to that user experience, right? If it wasn't good for the user, it would not get adopted. And um, a lot of times they will start with, since it's as a service, they can kind of roll it in. They'll start with you know, a group of say 100, 500 users, whatever it might be, and eventually you scale up. And so it's not a one size fits all, obviously, right? Um, but I think the way that we've done the architectures is really keeping that in mind because we do service a number of other types of customers, very small customers, all the way to the very largest, you know, Fortune 10 companies. So um, that's exactly kind of what we're trying to do with the government is make it consumable to them, but also give them a voice to, to make sure that it meets their needs. Is the implementation of SASE different for a small agency that has a footprint, you know, maybe just in the US versus mm -hmm. one that has worldwide footprint? And what about if I have 100 people in my agency or mm -hmm. 10,000 or 50,000 people in my agency? Yeah. Or, or again, not what doesn't have to be one size fits all, as you said, sure. but, but SASE is still SASE no matter how, exactly. how you carve the cake. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And I think that's really a testament to the way the consumption model is built, right? The idea in the end is it's just another consumption model for all the security pieces that we bring for Zero Trust. Um, for that very small agency, um, you know, it would be easy to implement a small set of users and t test it out. Um, then they're not kind of dependent on their larger, you know, parent agencies or uh, what they used to call the, uh, the tie cap where small agencies would actually connect into a larger agency. Um, so they can, you can find that, that balance. If it's a very large agency, like I said, what we'll do is we'll talk about maybe a pilot program where you say 100 users, 500 users, whatever it might be, really test out the service. Um, and that's, that's a heavy lift too, because we have to integrate to make sure that we meet some of those zero trust um, design goals, right? Things like multi-factor authentication, logging, um, connectivity to their private apps. All that takes a little bit of time. Um, but what we found is, you know, uh, customers, um, they realize kind of the benefit of what this ASCII service is, and they're willing to work with us to make sure that it works for a test, right? Once we get past that initial stage, it's very easy because it is all just software licenses now. And you already have kind of the infrastructure built, whether it was for 100 users, 500, or 500, or 5,000 users, right? Um, so once we do that, then it's just a matter of kind of turning that dial up. I was about to say, it's just, it's, that's the as-a-service beauty. Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, well, we, let's get into your data center and let us add more boxes. For sure. Like, that's the beauty, not of the cloud, but of, of this approach as well. And I think as soon as folks see that, okay, I can start small, but going from 100 to 100,000 probably would make, yeah. cost me more, but yeah. it's not going to be all that, that right. huge of a lift. You mentioned one of the big benefits. You said they can aggregate some cost savings. Talk a little bit about why that's another uh, 
area that agencies should keep in mind. It's not the driving factor, of sure. course, but hey, if I could save some money, mm-hmm. uh, especially when we hear budgets are going to get tighter and yeah. potentially the cyber spigot maybe slowed mm-hmm. down from Congress. Yeah, I, it's just another use case, right? We uh, customers may have started out thinking of you know pandemic, work from home, uh, but as you start having return to office, return to like branches and whatnot, um, and then also with the emergence of not to get too technical or in the weeds, but like there's the EIS contract that the government agencies follow, right? Oh, we're, we're all up on the yeah, EIS contract. We, but they're, they're negotiating <laughs> prices on like legacy services and things like that. The idea is that if we can move them away from some of that model and say, you know, take, um, you know, emergency response type agency that has um, something happens on the West Coast, they need to be there, they need to set up like offices in a short amount of time, you're not going to call um, your you know EIS contract requirement a holder and say I need to get a 10 gig circuit to this remote place for f- six weeks. Uh, with SASE, you can do that. You can get a business internet connection, drop it, and you're connected in just like you would be at a remote branch. Is that because part of SASE is SD WAN software defined? Exactly. Network? Yeah. Talk so, a little bit about that the piece underneath. Sure. Sure. There's. The approach that we've taken is is a layered approach, right? So you think of uh, sort of a uh, very simply like a network as a service, but that network as a service is built on, you know, a, a, a massive, you know, tier one middle mile built for like elastic networking. Um, and that really gives that user experience um, acceleration where if I'm working from DC and I fly to my office in LA, I'm not going to connect all the way back to DC. I'm going to connect to the nearest pop in LA. There is, uh, there is uh, you know, intelligence built into that piece, for that network as a service piece. And additionally, that network as a service, we ride that tier one fiber. So when I'm working from home and I'm connecting to whatever these apps in the cloud, I'm gonna be on on net as long as possible before getting kind of pushed off to the, to the standard uh, network. Um, and then there's another layer, which is that zero trust security layer. So all those things that we think about as far as securing users, kind of following zero trust where we have you know, advanced threat prevention, URL filtering, the services that we need for those users that accidentally click on that link that kind of is a phishing or a watering hole or something like that. We really need to make sure that all those services are there, right? So these pieces kind of stacked together are really what makes that SASE service um, usable to that user. Network as a service is another emerging technology mm-hmm. or, or approach. I had a recent conversation with our friends at GSA about the EIS contract, and sure, sure. that's one of the things they talked about is, oh, there's a lot of agencies starting to ask for the network as a service for exactly. those reasons you just described. Exactly, so it's yeah. good to hear it's not just uh, the EIS contractors who are pushing from it. There's actually <laughs> right. maybe real users of it. You mentioned a couple of times uh, the, the changing nature of federal work. It's work from home, mm-hmm. hybrid, return to the office. All that kind of got pushed around for the trusted internet connections, the TIC 3.0. Mm-hmm. Yep. CISA did a really nice job, I think, of, from what I've heard, is really recognizing all these different use cases. How does SASE fit in and, and really solve some of the problems that, that you know the old TIC had created? Yeah, for sure. I mean, me personally, I was very uh, fortunate um, that I came from a service provider. Um, about five years ago, I was at Verizon and really focused on the legacy like TIC 2.2 services. And I kind of saw what was on the horizon, kind of the emerging TIC 3.0 push. And uh, when I came to Palo Alto in 2019, uh, uh, M1926 was just released from, from you know GSA and kind of following those guidelines. What we found is that the SASE model that we were building commercially really fit very well, all of these 
tick use cases that were outlined. Um, so we worked really hard to meet those use cases, but also worked with our government partners um, like CISA uh, to make sure that we were compliant with um, things that they had on the horizon. And so what we did about two and a half years ago uh, was started in the um, DHS as a pilot for what they call CLAW, which is the Cloud Log Aggregation Warehouse. So what, what, what customers would find is if they wanted to move to TIC 3.0, they were concerned that they were going to lose some of those services that they were getting from, from DHS. Um, and what we did with kind of building this in the cloud and also connecting into DHS CIS's cloud, as far as the log aggregation warehouse, sharing of information and, and the like, is we were able to, to give them that uh, you know, feature parity, if you will, uh, for lack of a better term. And then additionally, as uh, DHS rolled out things like protective DNS, um, we were able to work with them to, to make sure that we could be a tenant in that as well. I think one of the big concerns that I've heard from agencies about the initial tick use cases is, well, what's it mean for that tag back? Mm -hmm. And I think what you had described previously about, hey, I have an agency who needs to respond to something, set up an office for six weeks, solve that issue. Yeah, exactly. All of a sudden, I don't need to worry about going all the way back through the tick and coming back mm -hmm. and the latency issues. That, that's, again, no, another big benefit and another reason why we've mo moved on from tick one and tick two. For sure. Is, do agencies understand that part of the SASE implementation and the zero trust helps solve that long-standing latency yeah. challenge? I think they're, they're, um, I think they're starting to understand it, like kind of the the value and kind of the um, art of the possible, right? But they're really use case focused, and I don't, I don't blame them. They have a lot of stuff that they have to work on and try to figure out. Um, so a lot of times they'll they will take one SASE use case and kind of implement that. Once they get past that, then they can start looking at doing a, you know, a full view of all of their circuits, all of their branches, and figure out what kind of bandwidth they need, how they're going to kind of move to this SASE model. So it it's happening, right? Okay. Which is great because I, I think, as, as, as I, again, I talk to a lot of CIOs and they, they tell me, oh yeah, we're, we're looking at, we're starting to go down that, that, that path. Mm -hmm. Which is the perfect segue, we have about a minute left, Wayne. Okay. And I've okay. enjoyed our conversation. What's the big takeaway from, from our discussion today? What do you want to make sure that you leave our audience with when it comes to implementation of SASE? Again, we, we know, the, like with every technology, no one's at zero, no one's at 100. You're always on some sort of spectrum. What yeah. should they keep in mind? I would say to keep in mind the 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 future-proofing, if you will, like the technology integrations that SASE brings. Um, as you kind of move to a zero-trust model um, with something like SASE as kind of the north star of that, right? Um, as we, as, as technology vendors, kind of fold in new things like uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, um, things like uh, DNS, I'm sorry, DNS security um, or um, IoT, right? That's a big piece that maybe you had to have a separate, you know, device on network to do that. As we build these new technologies into the, into the cloud, it's easier to consume. So that's another thing that I think government uh, executives should be thinking about is how do I get to the next thing, not just what's on the table right now. And we know from the 2024 Federal Information Security Management Act, FISMA guidance to agencies sure. that just came out recently, mm -hmm. IoT is a big piece of exactly. that guidance. You have to know what your inventory is and how you're going to protect it. Uh, Wayne, but we're out of time, so okay. we can talk about that next time you come on. Perfect. Let me thank my guest. Wayne LaRich is the Federal Civilian Field Chief Technology Officer and Solutions Architect for Palo Alto Networks Federal. Wayne, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search innovation. 
Thank you for listening to the Innovation and in Government Show, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. The entire discussion can be found on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com, keyword innovation. 